So Andy's the, the leader at, uh, at uh, King's Church in Horsham, and uh, he's been really helping us and blessing us, actually, incredibly. So thank right. you. Um, as we go through the changes that we're going through, if you don't know what those changes are, you'll see us afterwards. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, it's really uh, a great privilege to be here, and uh, it's been fun just getting to know everyone um, over these last few weeks, it feels like. It feels like I was asked to join an express train uh, that wasn't prepared to stop at the station to let me on. So uh, I had to kind of jump on and uh, it's been great just spending time with your leaders and just kind of seeing what what God's doing here. And um, actually God in his grace has kind of prepared the way already. I didn't know at the time but four years ago we were at Catalyst uh, if you've been to the festival doing these encounter stations, you know, where we do all these different things to try and help people connect with God. And Hazel and I were doing a thing called the bubble. Okay, so we pull this big bubble over someone and we do it with the kids to kind of let them know that actually God's presence is always with you. It's always around you, although you can't always see it. And um, Nathan and Jenny brought their fantastic family uh, to us. And as they, as they came... Um, there was just a whole lot of God on that family, you know. So we were like ready to pray and prophesy over them and the queue was getting longer and longer but actually just really felt God speak very clearly to us for them. And one particular uh, uh, word that just really stuck in my mind was uh, we were praying over one of the girls and uh, I just had a picture of, a, of like a black and white photograph um, w- with a, a little girl holding a red balloon. So it's black and white but with a red balloon and... So I said to the young lady on the bubble, I said, I don't know what that means, but is red kind of significant to you? And she said, well, my name's Scarlett. So I kind of thought, oh, okay, that was really kind of something. And so we prayed and prophesied over them, and Jenny was busy writing everything down. And then next year they came back again and uh, were saying, well, this has happened, this has happened, this is the kind of stuff that God's done. And, uh, and Jenny said, oh, we... We remembered that, that photograph that you had, that picture that you had. We actually found that actual picture. Um, and today, they just showed me. Oh, it's somewhere. It's somewhere here. So, which was absolutely incredible. So this was the picture that I described to them. Um, and today, I've just seen it for the first time, the actual the actual picture that I saw and shared with them prophetically. Um, and so when all of this stuff started happening, the changes that were being made here and what was happening in your church, and, and I was asked, like, would I kind of pop in and see if I can help? I work with a number of other churches kind of around here. Um, and so you're thinking, man alive, this, is, this, this freight train's going and I'm being asked to join in and, and I don't know anyone there. I knew Andrew a little bit um, from Wokingham. Um, and then suddenly he's saying, oh, we've got this couple. We really think this guy could lead the team. We've really got this stuff going on. He's in sales, you know. He's, he's in a salesman. He's in a high-powered sales role. He's going to have to come out of that. All of that kind of stuff. That was my story entirely. Exactly the same story. So God had prepared a way already four years before all of this happened. He's amazing, isn't he, how he, how he does that. And uh, suddenly you find yourself in a context where, where God's already made a way, where you didn't even know there was a way needed. That was the thing. So it's been great just kind of getting to know you. Uh, a little bit about myself. Um, uh, I uh, lead the eldership team in, in King's Church in Horsham. And uh, 
This is my wife, Hazel. We've been married for 26 years. There might even be a picture of a family. There we go. So um, the young man on the right, you're right there. That's Tom. That's my eldest son. Um, he works in TV production for Fox, so Fox News, 20th Century Fox, all that kind of stuff. Um, the other young man in the, in the picture, not, not me, the, the other young man, um, on the, is Eddie. He's 21, uh, and uh, he's a sound engineer, and his brother has just landed him a job at 20th Century Fox uh, with him. Uh, so uh, they'll be working on films and TV. So the company that Eddie's just joined that works in there in Fox, you know, did films like Anchorman and all these kind of stuff that, that you'll, you'll know um, and my boys love. So they both work in television. Um, and the young lady there uh, is not actually belonging to us just yet, but she will do in August uh, as Eddie marries her. And um, Tom's dating a lovely young girl who's, who's very much trying to become a Robinson as well, I would think. So we'll see, we'll see where that leads. I would say that if she was here and she'd be getting really embarrassed, but that's, that's the truth. Um, so that's us. Uh, Joe and Paul are with us. Joe, Joe and Paul travel with us quite a bit. When we minister in places, Joe leads our prophetic school um, as well in, um, in, in Horsham. So, so that's kind of us. I don't know about you, but... Last year was not a good year for me. Okay, it was a horrible year. And uh, when it was, you know, Big Ben strikes and you've got that, I was, I was in the lounge with my friends, with our other elders, you know, and often you raise a glass to the new year. Well, for us, we would just turn around and we, we just wanted to make sure that, that the actual year was dead. It was over. It wasn't a good year um, for us. Just being authentic with you, it's like it's, it's easy to come and do stuff like this, and you can look and you can just think, "Oh man, it must be great." You know, life's all peachy. Life isn't all peachy. And uh, last year was far from peachy um, for us. It was it was very difficult personally and corporately. Um, but God is still good all the time. And uh, as we've come out into this into this new year, kind of felt God really clearly speak to us. Just to remind us, really, of what have I already said? You know, sometimes we can go into a new year or into a new season, can't we? And we're, we're like, God, what, what, what is it you've got for us in this season? And, and as we did that, he said, well, what have I already said? And uh, for us, we then entered this new year with the phrase, keep the main thing the main thing. And for us, the main thing God really spoke to us several years ago was about being a people passionate about the presence of God. Passionate about pursuing the presence of God, being led and shaped by the presence of God, and even being known for the presence of God. And you know that, that famous passage in Exodus when it talks about Moses, when he says, you know, if, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Okay, and that's a good mantra. But what he says is, is, is that how will all the peoples of the earth know that you're with us if your presence doesn't go with us? And I think sometimes we can very easily get caught up in that sense of God's presence. We want it because it makes us feel all gooey and tingly. Or is that just me? Do you know what I mean? We want that. And it's nice, isn't it? I'm not knocking it. It's nice. We want that, but it's very easy for us to get into that and forget what's the main thing. And Moses said the main thing was, because how will all the peoples of the earth know that you are with us if your presence 
isn't with us. So there's a sense of pursuing him, wanting him to be a people passionate after his presence, shaped by his presence. But actually, it's not wrong to then say we want to be a people who are known because of his presence. And so that is our pursuit. So at the beginning of the year, first two weeks of the year, we, I just preached that. We just preached all about that. What's God already said? Pursue his presence. Be a people of his presence. And then two Sundays ago, uh, we were just uh, having our normal meeting and just worshipping. And uh, someone brought a tongue and an interpretation. And then, and then the presence of God just came and just broke into our meeting and just messed the whole thing up. Do you know what I mean? Properly messed it up. I mean, there were, there were bodies everywhere. There were like people just encountering God. We saw a very expensive projector hit the floor at high speed as people were falling over. Do you know what I mean? I thought, I thought that you know, our trustees were manifesting in the presence, but they weren't. They were like, oh my God. <laughs> So a different kind of manifestation. But, you know, stuff was happening. And, and, and I realised that, that there were people in that meeting who were like, I don't know, late 20s, I guess. And, you know, the 1994 kind of happenings, those of you that kind of remember the Holy Spirit breaking out then, they'd never seen anything like that. And they were in this meeting my goodness, I've not seen anything like this. The manifest presence of God. People being set free, people finding just hope again and encountering God, being healed. It was just incredible. And so I didn't even get to preach. We abandoned the preach. Um, we just went through it. We released the prophets and the prophets just started prophesying just stuff in, into kind of our future and what God was calling us to. And um, what I didn't realise at the time, quickly found out afterwards, was that you know, God is just so good and so big, and he's not, he's not interested in age. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't provide a junior Holy Spirit, does he? There's not like a cut-down, bottled-down version for, for the little people. And what we found was that actually the Holy Spirit had just swept across the entire site. And so our kids' work had abandoned everything they were doing. There were kids on the deck just, just experiencing the presence of God across the whole site. It was just incredible. And it was just one of those, one of those moments in God where, where you just kind of think, actually, you know, sometimes it's always easy to kind of look, what's the next big thing? But he's just saying, what have I already said? What have I already called you to, to do? Be pat- and for us, it was being passionate for him. And so, and so we just kind of been enjoying, enjoying that really and enjoying God's in that way and so I'd encourage you you know as you're going into these these new seasons and these new changes and differences yes it's good what's God saying we want to do that but what's he already said and what's he already wanting us to do and learning to make the main thing the main thing so that's that's kind of a bit of a an introduction what I really wanted to to begin to talk to you about was sort of a journey that I've been on. It got hijacked by 2017 a little bit, but um, this journey I've been on is learning the difference between ambition and hunger. And, uh, you know, I, I was always really ambitious for the things of God. I was really ambitious for things like signs and wonders, and I was ambitious for the kingdom, ambitious for the church to grow, all of those good things. But I actually came to a point when I realized that there's a massive difference between being ambitious and being hungry 
And uh, over, over these years, I've been, I've been learning what it is to kind of get a real hunger for more of him. And uh, strangely, I've found all the things that I was once ambitious for get added to you anyway. It's almost like if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added. Who knew? Who knew? Okay, and, and that would be my encouragement to you is to get, is to get hungry for more of God and, and work out where you've got a theology gap. Now, this is something God's been speaking to me a lot about is about having a theology gap because I get to speak at a lot of New Frontiers churches and, and uh, one of the things I can tell you about New Frontiers churches is, is that they are not undertaught. Okay? New Frontiers churches are brilliantly well taught. And we have a good, solid theology. And so when I get to come and speak at places, I kind of feel like, well, what am I going to say? What am I going to add to what you already know? And the answer, you know, don't tell anyone, but I'm not that bright. Okay, um, so just keep that to yourselves. Please don't tell anyone, particularly my kids if they come, because, you know, they obviously think I'm awesome. But um, it's, it's, I'm not that sharp. I'm really not. Um, and so what am I going to add theologically to what you've already got and, and actually I just felt God say to me you don't need to add to the theology what I want you to do is plug the theology gap and so what's a theology gap? well I think a theology gap is not a gap in your understanding of theology but a gap in your experience of it and so if you, if you think about that, you think, well, where, where is there a theology gap? Well, I know the stuff that you believe, because I'm in New Frontiers as well. So I'm, I, I know that stuff. And if you think about, you take a passage like Mark 16, uh, verses 14 through 18, I think it is. And there we'll find there may be, just maybe a theology gap. So if we have a look at that, that verse you'll find this theology gap. And it says in Mark 16, 14 to 20, afterwards Jesus appeared to the 11 uh, disciples and uh, they were reclining at a table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. That's a good start. (laughs) Jesus appears and suddenly the first thing he does is rebuke you. But anyway, moving on, he says he rebuked them for their hardness of heart because they'd not believed those who saw him after he had risen. That was the women. And uh, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. We know that. This is the Great Commission. We get that. You all know what that is, right? He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they'll recover. So can you see where there might be a bit of a theology, what I call a theology gap there? So let me just help you with that, okay? If you are a believer here this morning, why don't you pop your hand up for me? Okay, now keep it up if you've been baptised. Okay, if you haven't, come and see us because I'm sure we'd love to baptise you. That would be great. But okay, so you've still got your hand up. Okay, keep your hand up if those signs accompanying you are following you as well. So you're drinking poison, (laughs) laying hands on... See, there's a bit of a theology gap there, isn't there? So if I was to ask you theologically, 
Do you believe that you can lay hands on the sick and see them? Do you believe that? You'd all say yes. Okay? But this passage clearly says that if you're a believer and you're baptised, those things will follow you. But I'll be honest with you, they're not following me. I might chase after them from time to time, but they're not following me just yet. And so where there's this gap is this gap between what I believe and what I pursue. And so that really is a massive thing for us to, to think about, is, is that we believe stuff, but we, only, we believe it enough to argue about it. So if I was to say to you, I don't know, um, I don't believe angels are for today. I think angels stopped happening once the Holy Spirit came. I don't think we need angels. We've got the Holy Spirit. So don't believe angels operate today. Where would you sit on that? Who would agree with that? Just put your hand up if it's the truth. Don't say, oh, everyone's looking around. So you don't believe that. Okay, because if you did believe that, I wouldn't expect you to have any stories of encounters with angels. It would be unreasonable of me to expect you to have any stories of encounters with angels because you don't believe they operate today. Would that be fair? Now, by definition, you all didn't put your hands up, so you all must have a theology of angels. So if we could just one by one ask you to just share quickly one of your stories of an encounter with an angel. I've got some. I could start. But you see, there's a theology gap. And actually, you may, if we had talked over the coffee about that particular thing, even argued with me that I was wrong. You would have argued quite strongly, potentially, that I was wrong. But actually, your, your belief hasn't pushed you. It's, it's got you far enough to believe it, but it hasn't pushed you far enough to expect it. And so there is this, this theology gap. And there's a, what I want us to really look at is, well, what stops us from moving from belief to an expectation of what we think we believe because actually the reality is, is it makes no difference whether I was right or wrong over that issue of angels because if you don't believe it you don't experience them and if you only believe it theologically then you're still not experiencing them so what difference does it make whether you believe or not and so what is it that stops us stepping into that next next phase, if you like, of actually pursuing those things. And the reality is, the answer is unbelief. It's unbelief. Now, because we refer to ourselves as believers, we kind of exclude the possibility that we may have unbelief in our hearts. Because we're probably a little bit too sophisticated in churchy to just come right out with it. You know, so were I to tell you one of my stories about uh, encounters with angels, which I can do, you probably wouldn't just go, I don't believe you. Because you're nice people. (laughs) You'd probably say, well, I'm just a bit cynical about things like that. Or I'm naturally sceptical. It's just kind of how I am. As if kind of 
skepticism and cynicism are kind of traits that are in some way better than unbelief. The reality is, is skepticism, cynicism and unbelief are just different flavours of the same poison. If you drink them, you will die. And so we end up with this situation of, of kind of calling unbelief something else just to kind of get around the problem that that's what it is. And, and the reality is, is that Jesus dealt with unbelief often, even in that passage that we've just read right at the beginning, just before the Great Commission. And we love the Great Commission, but we forget that the verses before, the first thing he did was rebuke unbelief. He says, if I can find where on earth I am in my notes. Um, verse 14, afterwards he appeared to the eleven as they were reclining at that table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they'd not believed those who had seen him after it was risen. Now that was a complicated situation and you unpack it because part of the problem was it was the women that had seen Jesus and at that time in that culture a, a kind of women's testimony wasn't worth anything. And so there's a whole can of worms to open up there, which we'll leave for another day. But that was the reality. He was rebuking unbelief. And Jesus challenged it all the time. You see it in phrases like, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And he was challenging unbelief all the time. But his disciples believed him. But he was challenging unbelief. And it seems to me that the human heart is capable of belief and unbelief at the same time. How confusing is that? At the same time. Now you know that's true because you remember the story of Jesus when he was up the mountain and the disciples uh, were trying to uh, deal with a, a young boy that had been brought by his father to be healed and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't cast out the demon. They couldn't, they couldn't solve the problem. And when, when Jesus kind of came down, the, the dad said to, to Jesus, well, if you can heal him. And Jesus says, if, if, if I can heal him, all things are possible to who? Those who believe. Believe what? Now, believe in him. Yes, that's true. But actually, believe that it can happen. Believe that those signs and wonders will follow you all the days of your life. It's that, it's that if you believe. But, but actually, what the, the response of the man at that point was brilliant. Because he, he recognises that he could have belief and unbelief in his heart at the same time. And if you remember his response, he says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And that is a prayer I think we as Christians need to pray a lot more often than we do. Is I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And... Uh, Unbelief can affect us in all sorts of different ways. And um, let me have a a look at Mark 6, verses 1 to 6, because I think this is probably the the key point for us to think about. How does unbelief affect us? And did you know that your unbelief affects me? It affects this church. It actually can affect this town, your personal unbelief. 
That's big, isn't it? That's huge. Let me, let me give you some good scripture and theology to, to back that up. Mark 6, 1 to 6, Jesus went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are these not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. Here we go, verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Then he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about amongst the villages teaching. Their unbelief. So the fact that he said he could do no great work there suggests to me that his plan was to do some great stuff. So he had a plan. He had a purpose. He was going there. He was going to do some awesome stuff in that place. But all they got was a couple of healings. Why? Because of their unbelief. And one of the things I think we struggle with is the fact that Unbelief has such a big deal because you kind of think like, because God's God, because if you was God, you'd just do what you want, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I know you would. <laughs> All right? You just, if you could, you just do what, well, I can, I'm God, I can do what I like. Be awesome. And so the fact that God couldn't do something seems a bit weird to us. But that's what this passage said. He said he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Why? Because God won't violate free will because he's a good God. And he has a higher value on free will than we, we think. But the point is, is, is that by exercising our free will and choosing not to believe, we can restrict what the Holy Spirit can do. And I think sometimes in, in church we end up accidentally celebrating unbelief. Because God's got a big plan for us. He's got a big plan to do amazing things. And sometimes all he can do is just a couple of healings. And we end up celebrating those healings, as we should. But we celebrate them to the exclusion of what might have happened if we'd have searched our hearts to find unbelief in it. And so unbelief has a massive ability to affect not just us, but others. And I'm going to give you a list you might want to talk about them in your small groups or something. But unbelief affects us in many ways. Number one, it breaks us off from God's plan for us. And you'll see the scriptures on the screen. Maybe if anyone's able to keep up with where I am anywhere in the sermon because I'm all over the place. Um, it stops us from fully entering the rest of God. Unbelief causes us or can cause us to fall away in part or in totality. It acts as spiritual poison, defiles the conscience. It can affect a whole region, and we've just seen that. That whole town was affected by unbelief. It limits, of God's, limits God's power in my life, but also in the lives of those I love. And so it's easy, it's easy for us to sit here and, and assume I'm talking about the person sitting next to you. And you're right. 
I absolutely am talking about the person sitting next to you. As they are sat next to you. <laughs> so how does unbelief affect us? And I, I, I came across um, a list. And um, I went through the list and I was quite disturbed by how many things affected me. And I'm going to read you the list. I'll ask you the questions. They're rhetorical. Don't put your hands up or shout out. That's me. Um, all right? Just, just have a think about as I read these through. And that can help us to see if there's unbelief in our hearts. Number one, I find myself disappointed and let down by God when he doesn't seem to answer my prayers as I believe he should. When I hear of others' experiences of God's presence or power, my default response is cynical and I often try to analyse, minimise or disprove their claim. Others, I like this one, others call me critical but I feel they are naive and I am discerning. I first, I guess you're laughing because you know it's you or you know someone. I'm just putting it out there. All right. I, I perceive situations as impossible rather than possible with God. Prayer is usually a last resort for me. I doubt that God speaks to others as they claim because he doesn't speak to me in that way. I'm reluctant to receive prayer because it hasn't worked before. I think my situation, my sins, my fears, my habit, my circumstances, whatever you want to fill in the blank, will never change. I'm stuck with it. I have a tendency to worry and have anxiety and fear about many things. I often control people and situations because I'm afraid to let go and trust God even when I know I should. I found that startling as I went through that list to recognise how many of those things actually applied to me. I didn't really recognise them as unbelief, but that is what they were. I wonder how many of those statements did you recognise in yourself? And so I think it's, it's really important that we, the first step is we recognise that unbelief exists and that actually it can exist in our own heart. Um, and uh, we need to recognise unbelief of what it is now just to say you know if i if i hear something that seems implausible to me okay i investigate it i go and i go and look into it i don't simply accept anything and everything just because a christian on youtube says it's so okay i'm just putting it out there that not everything on the internet is true okay now i can see how that might come as a shock to some particularly over there, but I'm just saying, all right, in my experience, I've not always found everything to be truthful on there. So I want to look at it, but I want to look at it in a way that honours rather than tears down. And I want to look at it in a way that recognises I can have unbelief in my heart as I'm doing that. So, you know, we, we, we don't just kind of just, well, whatever then, otherwise I'll get accused of unbelief. That's crazy town. All right, but that sense of actually let's do it in a way that honours, and I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. So, so unbelief. Okay, so we recognise probably now that we're all we we all have unbelief in our hearts, and I'm going to go now and just leave you. <laughs> no, the truth is is that it's a choice. Belief and unbelief is a choice. 
Lots of examples of that. You look at Jairus' daughter, you know that story when Jairus goes to see Jesus and he says, look, my daughter's sick, will you, will you come and heal her? And Jesus says, yeah, and then there's all sorts of stuff going on, a lady with the issue of blood, there's all, all of that happening and Jesus kind of, it looks like he's getting a bit sidetracked. And then we read, um, and the scriptures will be up there probably, um, but I'm not going to read it just now, but, but we read that story and what happens is, is basically, long story short, you know, Jesus is taking a little bit too long doing the other stuff and the girl dies. And so the servants from Jairus' house come and they say, hey, look, you know, don't bother Jesus anymore. She's dead. You know, it, you know, it, it's, it's, moved. it's time to move on. And, and Jesus says to, to, to Jairus, no, he says, he says, don't doubt, only believe. Well, that suggests to me that that's a choice. He's given him a choice. You can choose to doubt or be full of unbelief or you can choose to believe. It's your choice. And so actually when we recognise unbelief, we can recognise that we have a choice. And so when you, when you see unbelief creeping in, when you see doubt creeping in, you have a choice. One thing I've learned over this past horrible year is I have far more choices than I think I do. I may not be able to choose the circumstances of my life, but I can choose my response to them. We have far more choices. And so when you, when you feel doubt creeping in, when you feel unbelief creeping in, you have a choice to partner with it and just go down that rabbit hole. Or you have a, a chance to come against it and say, no, I'm going to choose to believe. I'm not going to choose to be in doubt. You're going to say that, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Okay? So you have a choice. And I think, as I say, I think praying that prayer, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, is a prayer we need to learn to pray a lot more. I think the other thing is, is that we need to be people who hear with faith. Now, when you hear testimonies and stories, and I can tell you all sorts, I can tell you stories of kind of gold dust appearing and stuff that I don't have a theological box to put in. I, 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 there's stuff that happens. I can tell you stories, legs growing, all that. Kind. There's no clock in here, is there? This is a great place to come and preach. <laughs> what time am I supposed to stop? One o'clock over here. What time is it? About quarter past, okay. All right, you, well, you just go when it's time to go. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just keep going. Okay, but I can, I can tell you a story. Have we got time for one quick story because it's quite a funny one? All right, so I, I, I've uh, seen people's legs grow. Okay, so when people have a bad back, sometimes their hips are out of line or whatever, or they've got one leg longer than the other. And so, so you pray, and I've watched people's legs grow out, actually pop out. And I've been in uh, churches where, you know, you've got all the teenagers sitting up at the back of the like that, sort of, and they say, well, come down the front, hold this person's leg, and you watch it grow in your hand, and, it, and that's happened. And so I blogged about it, I told stories about it, and I got contacted on my blog by this one girl who um, sort of asked me if I could go kind of bit Joyce Meyer and like sort of Skype in so she could put her hand on the screen and, and all of that kind of stuff, which I'm thinking, oh, this is like, this is freaky town. Anyway, so I, I started sort of did a little bit of correspondence with her, and she wanted to know if I had faith for both of her legs to grow. So I'm like, well, this kind of defeats the object. It's like, you know, what, what, why? 
And she said, my heart's desire is to be a model and I'm an inch too short to get into the agency. Seriously, unbeliever. You know, so I'm thinking, oh man, this is taking crazy town to a whole new level. So, so I got one of our female impactors. I said, there we go. There's a nice little side project for you. Um, you speak to this girl. But all, all the time, she was way up north somewhere, way up there. Um, and anyway, so she was chatting with this girl, all of that kind of stuff. And I contacted uh, the New Frontiers Church where she was up there. Uh, and it turned out that he was a sort of vague friend of mine um, that I knew and I thought, oh, this could be so much fun. I can now palm her off onto, onto you. And so, and I told him the story and he's going, I'd never pray for anyone's legs to grow, let alone two. And I said, oh, you'd be fine. What, what could go wrong? Anyway, so this girl, she goes to his church and she finds him and she says, Andy said you'd pray with me and he prayed with her and guess what happened? She got saved. She's still short, but she's saved. How cool is that? So you didn't see that coming, did you? Right, so anyway, why was I even talking about Oh, yeah, hearing with faith. Okay, so, so the thing is we have a choice when we hear stories how we hear. And there's a passage in Acts which I really love in Acts 17, 11, and it says this, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message from Paul with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Okay? Now, this is a good way to deal with unbelief. But the way we deal with it normally is when you hear a story that stretches your believability meter, what you do is you receive it with cynicism and scepticism and you go to the Bible to prove them wrong. And prove you right. Typically, I'm going to take from your silence that you're absolutely in agreement with me. Okay, don't we? We hear something and you think it's a bit out there and I'll, I'll show them that's not right. It doesn't match my theology or whatever. But actually, what we see here is wisdom. They received it with joy. They just think, do you know what? My picture and my view of God is so big that this is possible. It's possible. And that's the attitude with which they receive it. Then they go to the scriptures to find out if it could be true. Not if it's bunkum. They look to see if it could be true. And so we need to receive what we hear with joy. Because God could do it. Whatever craziness it is, he could do it. I'm sure you've heard stories of people sticking pennies to walls and all sorts of just nuts. And you think, but God could do that. But let's go and see what the scriptures say. So, so we, need to, we need to do that. The other thing um, I, I'd say about getting rid of unbelief is, is don't judge and back off. Because we do hear stories of excesses, don't we, in the kingdom? Well, I do. You know, we hear stories of excesses where we, we see this excess or we see later something come out about, you know, um, Todd Bentley or, or, or whoever it happens to be in the moment where suddenly there's been an amazing move of God and then it, it, it transpires that this, this guy is in sin or some craziness. Yeah, you, you've all been there. But don't judge and back off and write off the whole thing as ungodly. Because a man has fallen. If you did that, if that was your position, then you need to start tearing a lot of pages out of your Bible. 
because you'd lose all the psalms because David screwed up royally. So let's rip all the psalms out. Let's rip kings out. Chronicles goes. Loads of stuff starts disappearing if we write everything off because of a man that fell. Now don't get me wrong. We don't want to get soft on sin. But let's receive what God was doing. And think if God could do that in that context, what could he do with people that are pure and after God's own heart? So... Don't let that stuff germinate your unbelief. We need to, we need to fill that theology gap <laughs> where we've got our experience and our theology, just, there's just this massive gap. And it's unbelief and it's things like that that, that that creep and they rob us of that. Because we think, well, I don't want to go to that because of all of this stuff I see. But actually... It's for the joy set before us that we endure, and sometimes we have to endure some stuff. And, you know, sometimes when Holy Spirit's breaking out, there's all sorts of craziness that happens. You know, there are people that are genuinely encountering God. And I've had people say to me when, when we've had things like that, well, I'm, I'm sure some of that's learned behavior. And you know what? I think they're probably right. Sometimes they say, well, it's just attention seeking. And I think, actually, sometimes, you know what? They're probably right. And it's this and it's that. But if I have to put up with that to get the manifest presence of God and the signs and wonders that follow that we talk about, then I'll put up with that to get him. What I don't want to do is shut that down and end up inadvertently shutting him down in the process. And so we've we, we, we got to get past that thing where unbelief just starts us to cause us to lock things down. And what, what we need to do, the reality is we need to repent. We need to repent of our unbelief. Bill Johnson says this, Most Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. <laughs> and so we need to repent of our unbelief, not just so we get forgiven, but so we get into belief. So I want to repent for my unbelief to the point where it actually pushes me to fill that theology gap. So I now start to believe. And I now start to kind of go after stuff. And fear can rob us. Shame can rob us. And in a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us to respond. But actually, you're going to have to battle with fear and shame. Fearful of if I stand up in front of all these people, what are they going to think? Shame is like, maybe you're one of the elders here. And you think, what's everyone going to think if I stand up? You have to battle with those things. And it doesn't get any easier. It wasn't any easier for me to bring those kind of words of knowledge. I have to battle fear to kind of do that. The shame of what you might think of me if I, if I get it wrong. Now, I, I know I said, you know, I'm Jesus' favourite, so I'm all right. And I truly believe that, as are all of you. Okay, but there's, a, there's that, that belief of security in who Jesus is that still lets me do it, but I still have to battle kind of fear and shame to kind of, to kind of get there. And I think, I think, so what will happen is, is I'm going to stop at court pass, just like I've been asked to, and if you want to pray after that, that's on your own time, all right? So we have to get through those things. And, and you know, I had a word of knowledge one time for a guy that, or, or didn't know it was a guy, but for someone who had all, all difficulty in their pipes. You get what I'm saying, don't make me say more. Their pipe, all their pipes. 
you know, they're pipes. And uh, so I brought this word and said, if that's you, stand, you know, and uh, a few people stood and prayed for them. It's great. And afterwards, I had this very well-meaning lady come up to me and rebuke me because she felt that that was embarrassing. It was outrageous for me to shame someone like that and make them stand and all of that. So I thanked her very nicely and, and, and then forgot about it. But what happened was two weeks later, I got an email from a guy who said that he, that word of knowledge had come and the battle in his head was, there is no way on God's green earth I'm going to stand up in front of all of these people to talk about my pipes. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and in that moment, Holy Spirit said to him, do you want your healing more than you want your reputation? And so he stood and he said, all the symptoms have gone and they've never returned. Never returned. Because he overcome fear and shame and unbelief. And he went for it. And so we're going, to have that, we're going to have that moment in a second. So I just want you to kind of think on that and ask yourself, is there unbelief operating in my life? Are there things that God's speaking to me about and do I want to break free for them and break that theological gap? How does that sound? So I'm just going to give you a minute to do that. All right? So if you recognize that you've got unbelief in some way, shape or form and that's something you need to repent of, and to move into, to fill that theological gap in your experience and your theology. Why don't you stand, and I'll pray with you. Wonderful. Thank you, God. For I thank you, Lord God, that you are a God who speaks. I thank you, Father, that you are the one that draws us into one degree of glory uh, and onto the to the other. Lord God, I thank you, Father, that you have great plans and purposes for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, give us hope in the future. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, that each person that has stood has recognised that there's there's a an element or a boulder of unbelief, Lord, that is causing that that blockage between what we know we believe and what we expect to experience. And so, Father, I just want to pray for everyone stood Lord God uh, would we just we just pray right now we believe but help us with our unbelief and Lord God I pray that we would see breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough as a result of today Lord God that you would close that gap between theology and experience Lord God that where there's a belief that we can lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed I pray close the gap between our knowledge and our experience I pray Lord God where, where we pray for habits to break and freedom to come whether it's in the church or outside Lord God would you close the gap between our knowledge and our experience. Father, where, where we're pursuing you for more of you, more of your presence, Lord, for a breakout of your spirit in, in any kind of context, whether we're meeting together or not, Lord, I pray, Lord, would you close the gap between our experience and our understanding. Lord God, we ask, Lord, this, not because we want to feel better about ourselves, but because we want to see your name glorified. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see heaven on earth, Lord God. That is our, our prayer, Lord God. And Father, we repent right now where our unbelief has been a blockage to that happening. Lord, we repent. And Lord, we don't just apologise for, uh, uh, for that, Lord God, but we want to say we want to turn our back on it and we want to step into the truth that we are more than conquerors. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. No weapon formed against us can stand because we are your sons and your daughters. Father, we, we say, Lord, 
Do the incredible. Nothing is impossible for you, Lord God. And Father, we're, we're believing for the impossible. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.